Hello and welcome to episode two of the Isakos podcast. I'm Stephen Lyman and I'm here with uh, Robert Marx. I am based in Fukuoka, Japan, and Dr. Marx is in New York City. Dr. Marx is the chairman of the Isakos newsletter committee, and I'm the chairman of the Isakos communications committee. And we're here to talk today about the latest issue of the Isakos newsletter 2020, volume two. Welcome, Dr. Marx. Thanks for having me. Nice to have you. Nice to see you again. We're actually doing this over a Zoom so we can actually have a face-to-face conversation, even though we're on different continents. And we just want to talk through the newsletter, give people some highlights, let them know what's going on, where Isakos is today. Obviously, this year has been an incredible challenge. And Dr. Marks, you wrote a, an editorial about that very topic. Why don't you walk us through a little bit what you had to say? Yeah, well, it, I just start off by saying it's an honor to edit the newsletter. I've always enjoyed the Isakos newsletter for, for years before uh, I took over the uh, editorship. Um, and it sort of, uh, for me, highlights what's going on in the society. So in a quick, uh, quick period, you can get up to date with what's going on, what's happened recently, and what, uh, what's coming up in the future. The editor's message you're referring to uh, you know, I wrote, you know, in the spring when uh, COVID uh, was devastating uh, our area and really uh, a lot of the world. And uh, it was a very tough time. So it was kind of odd to write an editorial, which is usually a positive thing for me to think about what's going on in the society. So it was a little bit of a, a different uh, writing. Now that we're in a sort of different phase of, of COVID-19, you know, you can also reflect, or I've been able to reflect on some of the positives that have come out of this, despite all the devastation. And one is meetings like this, the Zoom. I mean, we've all done, you know, way more Zoom meetings. Some of us maybe more than anyone ever wants to do again. And I will tell you, I don't love doing patient evaluations on Zoom, where you can't do a proper physical exam, but even that has its uh, upside. And, you know, having this meeting where we can uh, talk face to face, we probably wouldn't have done it this way before the pandemic, but now it's become commonplace. The other thing is the amount of uh, academic productivity uh, over the spring and summer when people weren't taking care of patients as much. It was a tremendous amount of inflow of journal articles to the journals because people were spending their time writing. And it's also allowed some time for reflection about you know, how we live our lives uh, with this sort of break where people have been a little less busy, less travel, no travel. It has given us an opportunity to do things a little differently. Sometimes some positive comes out of that. But of course, we all are looking forward to the day when this is behind us and we can live our normal lives again. I think that's a great way of, of summarizing how things have changed. And it's a good thing to focus on, I think. Of course, we all know the health and life consequences of the pandemic, but reflecting on how our lives have changed and, and you know, thinking about how our lives are going to change in the future. What's What will be permanent? Which of these different things are going to stick with us, right? As I understand it, you know, when the influenza pandemic happened in 1918, you know, one of the permanent things that happened after that was hand washing and not spitting in public, which apparently were commonplace before that pandemic. And so what will become common, you know, across the world due to this, this disruption, you know, will it be that there's a lot more virtual meetings like this? And then what what else will stick? Will mask wearing become commonplace during flu season or, or things like that, you know, which actually happened in, in Asia, in large parts of Asia, mask wearing became the norm after SARS. 
you know, which was an earlier coronavirus outbreak that ended up fortunately not becoming a pandemic. But, you know, these sorts of changes get instilled by these disruptions. And it's really interesting to think about that. Yeah, it's interesting to think, I think in terms of orthopedic practice, there may be a, an increased use of telehealth for at least for me, for certain things, it's beneficial, uh, such as doing an MRI review where you can screen share, which you can't do on the phone. So you'd bring people in. And in some cases, it's much more convenient for them to look at the pictures. You could see their face. So it's, it's, you don't necessarily have to repeat your physical examination. I have not loved it for new patients, but um, I think it, there will be probably more telehealth uh, in the future because of this. That's good to get that orthopedic perspective. Is there anything that you feel has changed as far as actually performing surgery? That's actually the most normal thing in my life is going to the operating room because it's, it's virtually exactly the same as it was pre-pandemic when almost nothing else is. So I feel fortunate in doing a job where I could feel normal those days of the week when I am in the operating room. Yeah, my life has absolutely changed as a result of all of this. And I don't know if anything feels normal. So then, you know, it feels like a new normal almost, you know, you come home and forget to take your mask off for 10 minutes because you're so used to wearing it all day. Seeing <laughs> all right, well, thank you for that. And another thing we'd like to touch on, I think is, you know, that the Journal of Isikos, you know, you mentioned that journals are getting more submissions than ever. And as a journal editor, I know both of us have experienced that. We both are associate editors on various journals and, and the, the uptick in the number of reviews has been palpable. It's, it's clear that, that people are spending a lot of their free time in the orthopedic communities submitting uh, research and even doing research, starting new research. has been, a, I think, a very good thing for patient care going forward in the sense that a lot more research will be generated and hopefully we'll have a lot more information on how to treat people. Because I'm on the executive board of ISACOS, I do have some oversight or some involvement with what's going on with the journal through those meetings. So I'm quite aware of, of what's going on with the journal and also you know, how important a journal is for the society. The society is very proud of how far the journal's come in a short time, the quality of the research, how it's improved and the strides the journal has made, hopefully being indexed, becoming indexed soon. You know, I, what we're trying to do now in, in, in this edition of the newsletter, uh, the volume two for 2020, is to highlight a little bit about the Journal of Isakos. And we have a section, some facts and frequently asked questions that the journal editor-in-chief, Nick Van Dyke, was kind enough to do. And we also implemented a new section in the newsletter about the journal where we um, will highlight articles. So some people, you know, may not have access to the Journal of Isikos or maybe not as, as readily as they do for the newsletter, or maybe they don't know to go there. Or they don't know what's in it. And they're looking through the newsletter. Well, now they can see a little summary of the articles in the newsletter and briefly see the, you know, the authors and uh, learn a little bit about the research, the papers that were published. And then if they're really interested, they can go to the journal. But this gets that out a little a little uh, more easily for some of our society members. That's a very nice summary of what's in the newsletter about the journal. And I, as somebody who, who's on the editorial board for the journal, I certainly appreciate the highlight. And I've been there since, been involved with the journal since the beginning. It's one of the early things that I got into at Isikos. As a non-clinician, 
obviously as a, as a research methodologist, it's, you know, my area of expertise, it complements evaluating the research in the journal. And I've been very, very impressed with the quality of the work that started to come into the journal over time. And I think, you know, if you're considering where to submit your research, it's not a bad option at all. And once it's indexed, then that's going to be retrospective to all of the articles that were submitted before indexing. So don't, don't be afraid of the fact that it's not yet indexed. It certainly will be. The quality of the work is there. Uh, the editorial work is top-notch. So I think it's certainly a place where I now consider submitting articles as I'm ready to publish in the, in the Journal of Isikos. Yeah, I totally agree. And it's a good point that the articles, once it's indexed, they'll be uh, ret retroactively uh, indexed. Obviously, due to the pandemic, we've changed uh, the cadence of Isikos as, as far as the World Congress. Our next World Congress will be in Cape Town, South Africa, November 27th to December 1st, if everything goes as planned. And registration will open in March and abstracts are due in February. So if you're considering submission, don't delay. Uh, get your abstracts in earlier rather than later. And I'm personally, I've never been to Africa. So I'm really looking forward to Issacos 2021 in person if possible. Have you been to Africa before? I have not. And uh, I'm also really looking, I've always wanted to, to visit South Africa. So I'm very excited. You know, this is uh, this is now just over a year away, and you may not be aware uh, since uh, it's morning in Japan and you just got up, but today uh, Pfizer announced that their vaccine is over 90% effective. Don't know what that's going to mean uh, practically uh, in terms of uh, people getting immunized, but it was a piece of good news. With this meeting being over a year away and with a vaccine now uh, looking very promising. You know, I'm optimistic that we'll be able to have this meeting in person, but of course, it's a long way away and uh, we'll see what happens. That's very good news. I'm glad glad to hear that. Hopefully we can we can return to some sense of normalcy before too much longer if, a, if an effective vaccine is, is developed. And shifting gears in our newsletter, we also have a number of clinical topics and leading off this issue is actually Case Corner young patient with femoral head limited subchondral collapse and possible impingement symptoms from Iftak Hetzroni, which you and I both uh, know Iftak quite well from his time in New York, now based in Tel Aviv. He was a fellow at uh, Special Surgery and spent some time also with uh, Brian Kelly. He extended his fellowship by six months to, to learn hip arthroscopy with, uh, with Brian Kelly who's now our surgeon in chief. And uh, this was actually a, a nice case he presented of a, uh, a very complex and difficult management challenge. And we got people from around the world to comment from all different continents. Of course, uh, Iftak's from Israel. We had Aaron Critch from the United States. Uh, hi, Jamie Utsunomiya from Japan, from uh, your island. And Rodrigo Mardones from South America, from Chile. So we got all these different perspectives from around the world on a complex case. And I thought it was uh, uh, an interesting thing. It's sort of like having grand rounds uh, from around the world with people presenting or sort of like a symposium or an instructional course that we get at the conference with people giving their imp input from all over the world for a very you know difficult challenge that, that they saw. And it was interesting also because this was a case where not only was surgical management complex if you're going to undertake it, but there was also the question as to whether surgery should even be recommended uh, for this particular individual uh, patient. I, I thought it was an interesting case and the commentaries with a variety of um, viewpoints and uh, something we hopefully look to do more in the newsletter in the future. 
I really like the structure of this and it really highlighted for me the importance of Issachos, where you had a surgeon in Israel who presented a case and then you had responses from North America, Asia, and South America. For me, that's just the beauty of Issachos is you have an opportunity to interact with people from all over the world where there are very different treatment regimens that are used, you know, even in orthopedics, which I think when we think about our home country and how we treat patients, it's, it's pretty systematized, but there are variations around the world, especially for these more complex cases. Yeah, you're hundred percent right. And in fact, uh, we, we learn so much from different countries who do things sometimes quite differently. And sometimes it takes a while for those innovations to make their way across the world. But I think this allows information and treatment advances to be better communicated. So I totally agree. We had a postlateral corner surgery, a section called Tips and Tricks from Asian Surgeons. And this was uh, Dave Lee from Singapore who put, uh, put together this little section and invited uh, colleagues from, from around uh, Asia who were experts in uh, postlateral corner. So it was a really interesting sort of section of current concepts. Sadly and tragically, Feng Hua from China, who contributed, who's a pioneer, developed a technique for this surgery, died suddenly right after he submitted this and before it came out in print. Um, Dave uh, Dave Lee uh, put together a tribute in memory of his late co-author, Feng Hua, which I thought was quite touching, commenting on uh, him, what a gentleman and wonderful human being he was and how much he'll be missed. Yes, that's very unfortunate. And again, this article for me highlighted the collaboration across, you know, internationally. And now this was all in Asia. And yet, you know, you have Singapore, China, India, South Korea, and Japan all represented. And knowing the political tensions that can occur between these countries, it's very nice to see the orthopedic community working together and being able to put out something that hopefully will help surgeons uh, treat these conditions, and then also in turn help help the patients who suffer from this posterior lateral corneal injury. Unfortunately, we had another passing uh, in the Issacos community, which is highlighted in the newsletter. Dr. Richard Dick Tooth from Australia passed recently. He sounds sounds like quite a quite a legend. I don't know that I ever met him, but really seems to have contributed quite a bit to the orthopedic community in, in Australia. No question. He, uh, I, I never had the chance to meet him either, uh, but he was a major link in uh, establishing the international knee surgery community through the uh, IKS, one of the societies that led to the founding of Issacos. And in addition to, to being a superb knee surgeon. He was a high-level rugby player, captain of the Wallabies, a single-digit handicap golfer, a grade-A tennis player. And also, if that wasn't enough, he represented New South Wales in surf lifesaving and squash. And in addition to that, was an accomplished pilot and a Sydney Hobart sailor. So I can't even imagine doing one of those things in a lifetime he did all of those. I don't think they make people like that anymore. I learned about him through the through the tribute in the newsletter and uh, quite amazing. It really is. That's a life lived for sure. Speaking of knee surgery, there was a, uh, a nice uh, paper about quadriceps autograph by uh, Darren Dessa and uh, some of his colleagues, including colleagues from his country, Canada, his uh, mentor, Femi Ayeni, uh, as well as from the United States, Volker Musol, 
from Pitt and Yuichi Hoshino from Japan. So a nice international collaboration on the topic of quad autograph for primary ACL. And they make the case that it's a really good graft for primary ACL that really uh, should be perhaps used more uh, and conclude by saying it's a little early maybe to move away from patellar tendon bone and hamstring autograph for which there's more literature to date, but uh, highlighting the importance of uh, potentially using this graft more and uh, studying it more. So uh, we look forward to the results of those. As a knee, knee surgeon, I don't want to put you on the spot, but I do want to put you on the spot. When you do an ACL reconstruction, how do you make the decision between you know, patellar autograft or quadriceps autograft or an allograft, I guess, is another option? It's a great question, actually, because it's uh, an area of great controversy, really, for the last uh, 20 to 30 years. And it hasn't gotten a whole lot clearer, to be honest, except for I think you can, we can clearly say now that allografts fail more, probably two to three times more. And I've largely abandoned the use of allograft with, for, with rare exceptions. Uh, certainly multi-ligament knee reconstruction, I'll use it. But otherwise, in a very limited uh, way, and even there, there's people will argue that if it's not irradiated and, and not treated chemically, maybe that risk is, is uh, limited. So otherwise, uh, I think it's fair to say there's pros and cons to each graft. And I try to match the graft to the patient. Um, so uh, I would say on one end, you have patellar tendon that probably has the lowest retail rate. Maybe quad will rival that, but I'd say it has the lowest retail rate. A little more challenging rehabilitation if you have someone who's less physically fit and less muscular. And probably hamstring uh, autograft and maybe quad have an easier early recovery. But certainly we know hamstring has a higher failure rate than patellar tendon in large registries that that's probably at least 50% higher. So I'll save that for the maybe less fit, kind of less higher demand who are at less risk of, of graph failure. I see. And do you judge graph or risk of graph failure based on how physically active they want to be? Is that the yeah, decision point? The age, I think age is probably a, an independent predictor. Um, you know, the moon group that, uh, that I participated with, um, North America has a calculator, an online calculator that soon will be hopefully available to the public uh, for calculating risk of re-tear, re and you could put graft in there as well. Very interesting. Shifting gears, we wanted to highlight the Isikos publications, which in addition to the journal, there are also a number of books that are published, I guess, annually or biannually by the society. Would you like yeah. to highlight yes, any so of this? Uh, quite proud of our uh, books that we've uh, put out in a, a variety of topics ranging from uh, uh, sports medicine to bioorthopedics to, to how to do research to elbow arthroscopies, ACL surgery controversies, hip pain in the athlete, and the, the, the list goes on. Uh, really a way to uh, put important information in a forum where, where ISACOS members can access that, that wealth of information from experts uh, in, in a sort of a written format. So uh, with, with pictures, of course, something that uh, ISACOS offers to our members to put all that information uh, you know, in one place. You know, there, there are hard copy books, but they, they could be available uh, online through the, uh, the My ISACOS website under My Publications. That's great to highlight. That those resources are available to all ISACOS members. 
without needing the hard copy. You can actually uh, have the ebook versions of, of all of these, these fine publications. And Isakos is also, even though it's a clinical specialty or subspecialty society, has really put a, a, a strong focus on research. And the Isakos Scientific Committee has been giving out grants for several years. And those grants are beginning to yield real results, which is really nice to see. I believe you and I were involved in the, in the very early uh, steps of, of creating the grant program and helping choose through the peer review process, you know, who should be awarded these grants. And it's, it's really nice to see that uh, they're, the research is starting to, to yield results. Yeah, no, I remember back, uh, it's got to be 10 years when we were on the scientific committee together, uh, suggesting that Issacos fund research uh, as a contribution to advancing science in knee surgery and orthopedic sports medicine. And uh, now it's happening. We have grants and um, some some really impressive research coming out of our uh, grants. People are getting grants from all over the world. You know, the other thing is Issacos is also funding uh, some, some folks from uh, countries where they don't have the resources necessarily to learn how to do research or to travel to do surgery. So funding people who don't have the resources to go places and do, you know, a, a mini fellowship of two to four weeks and learn and bring something home to their country to help their patients there. So trying to improve things a few different ways with grants. Yes, I think the the program that I've been most excited about in the in the grant program through ISACOS is really the development of, of young researchers and having an opportunity for those young researchers to, to receive mentorship from one of the more experienced uh, clinician scientists around the world. And, and again, it's that international exchange, which we see so often in, in ISACOS collaborations, which I think is what makes this organization so unique. And uh, speaking of, uh, you know, the, the organization and uniqueness, I guess the last thing we, we wanted to cover from this edition of the newsletter was uh, that Isakos is uh, launching a gender diversity and inclusion task force to try to make uh, Isakos uh, more diverse and more inclusive. And uh, particularly with respect to uh, uh, female orthopedic surgeons who have always been a minority in orthopedic surgery. and and still are, I think, uh, worldwide. But to um, get uh, more representation from our female colleagues and make make uh, Issacos more inclusive and more diverse, and uh, that's uh, what what uh, what the society is trying to do. I think that's a, a wonderful thing to highlight. That you know, even as as gender equality has has taken great strides over over the last few. Uh, years or decades around the world in, in, in a large number of countries that the representation of females in orthopedic surgery is, is still quite low in most countries around the world. So it's, it's very nice to see this uh, being put together and the task forces uh, being led by some of our female members, which is very nice to see. And it would be nice to see more women involved in Isakos at the leadership level as well. So hopefully this is the first step in making that happen. Well, this was a lot of fun. You, uh, you and I have a long history. For those of you who don't know, Dr. Marks actually hired me <laughs> at HSS a couple decades ago. And uh, we haven't had a whole lot of time to spend with each other since I've re relocated to Japan. And fortunately for Zoom and Isakos, we were able to spend a few minutes together this morning, my time, uh, yesterday evening, your time. 
Yeah, I, you know, <laughs> we, we could reminisce for a while. I remember it was our uh, 2009 Isakos meeting in Osaka where uh, you um, fell in love with Japan. And now listen, right. I remember, uh, uh, you know, being there with you and you realized it was just, uh, just a phenomenal place. And uh, so Isakos is responsible for you uh, uh, being uh, located uh, on the other side of the world at the moment, which is uh, kind of cool. That's right. Yeah, that was my first trip to Japan and certainly wasn't my last. Yeah. So no, no doubt that Isakos can change lives. Hopefully, uh, we'll be able to uh, meet up again, if not before, at the absolute very latest uh, in uh, Cape Town. So uh, fingers crossed, share prayers that hopefully the misery of uh, COVID-19 will be uh, at least somewhat behind us by then. Yeah, I, I look forward to that for sure. And uh, thank you all for listening to the Isakos Podcasts, episode two, where we reviewed the 2020 Issacos Newsletter Volume 2 with Dr. Robert Marks from New York. I'm Stephen Lyman in Fukuoka, Japan. Thank you very much for listening and please tune in uh, to our future episodes. We hope you enjoyed the show. Mm-hmm.